Now, who can remember when they were a kid or, or younger thinking, I can't wait until I'm older because when I'm older, I will be able to do whatever I want. Hands up. Who, who thought that? Surprisingly fewer than I thought would be. Um, now, this is the thing. When you're younger, like think back. You're going, man, when, when I don't have homework, when I don't have chores, when I don't have projects to do, when I don't have exams to write, when I don't have uh, bedtimes and, and my parents telling me what to do, all my problems will be solved. Like life will be so much better. And we thought, when I can do what I want, spend my money how I want, be where I want, I'll have no problems. Life will be so much better. And when, when we're younger, we think that the, the solution to our problems is just getting older. And then like 20, 25 years down the road, maybe, maybe, maybe more, um, you go, oh man, I was so mistaken. I was so wrong. Like it, 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 that was the best. Like my problems were smaller back then than they are today. And so I, I think about like the, the problems that uh, my kids even have right now. Like Jane, two years old. Her problem is that she has an older brother who loves to antagonize her, just loves to get her going. Her other problem might be that she's, um, she's got a lot of feelings in that little two-year-old body and she can't express what she's uh, thinking or feeling and, and it just comes out like laying face down on the ground crying. And th- that's kind of her problem. Now Seth, he's seven years old. His problem is that his parents are always on him to make his bed, clean his toys, put away his books, brush his teeth, all those type things. Um, now, he's, he sometimes has problems with his friends. They have disagreements over things. I supervised a, a field trip last week uh, to the pool. I was an adventure. But um, on the way, on the way, uh, they're in a disagreement about which Pokemon is the best Pokemon. And I was like, guys, this is ridiculous. Like, this is not something we have to argue and fight about. It's obvious Tyranitar is the best Pokemon. Let's put it to rest. Let's move on. But their problems will change as, as they age. As, as you get older, your problems will change. Um, your frustrations, though, pain, troubles, they're, they're part of life. You're, you're never rid of these things. They come in different forms. But we know that they're part of life because it's our experience. And so maybe you have problems, challenges, worries, pains that come from school, career, raising kids, aging parents, your health, finances, relationships, more. Um, You might have some pains or problems there. And here's the thing, you never have to look for them. You you don't have to seek them out. They will find you. They, They don't care how old you are. They don't care who you are or what you do. Now Jesus said in John chapter 16 verse 33, in this world you will have trouble. And so it's not an if you have trouble, but more of an when you have trouble. That trouble, pain, problems are inevitable. Now today we're, we're starting a new series in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And uh, the book opens with a problem. Now I'm going to be talking about the events and the things that are taking place in chapter 1, but for the sake of time I'm, I'm just kind of summarizing it. But if you want to have your Bible open following along, you can see that I'm not making this up. But Hannah is, is kind of the person we're introduced first to in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And she has a problem. Her problem is that she's not been able to have children because verse 6 tells us God has closed her 
womb. Now chapter 1 also tells us that Elkanah, he loves his wife. He, he treats her well. But Hannah, she, she feels like a failure in her infertility. Hannah is, is barren. She, she can't fulfill what she probably considers to be the point of her existence, which is to, to bear children for Elkanah and to give him an heir. And Elkanah not having an heir would be a problem, um, a big problem at that time. Now, before you're like, I'm going to get out my phone, I'm going to email, I'm going to write something and go, he thinks that the point of women is to bear children uh, for their husbands. That's not what I'm saying. I know there's so much more to, to women than that. But we have to understand that lack of an heir or successor was considered to be a major problem in the ancient Near East. And Hannah has not been able to have a child. And with that, there comes pain. Now, Elkanah, he, he it seems, attempts to solve his problem of an heir. And he does this by marrying a second woman named Peninnah. And, and Peninnah doesn't seem to have a problem having children. It, they, they just keep coming. We, we hear that uh, he has sons and daughters through Peninnah. And Elkanah's problem seems to be solved, but Hannah's isn't solved. Her pain isn't resolved. And in fact, this has actually almost made things worse for Hannah because Peninnah becomes a problem. Peninnah isn't sympathetic. She's not understanding about Hannah's um, hurt her situation, and so she takes every opportunity she has to rub it in Hannah's face that she hasn't had a child. And you can imagine that every time Peninnah has another child, that is hurt, that is pain for Hannah. And I, I don't know why guys like Elkanah didn't learn, because like any time a second woman entered the picture, it just never goes well. There, there's animosity, there's rivalry now, year after year, Elkanah, we find that he, he takes um, his family up to Shiloh to worship at the tabernacle, to, to offer sacrifices to God. And each year, Peninnah takes this as an opportunity to insult, to put down, to wound Hannah along the way. And verse 7, it tells us, it, it gets to the point where Hannah would, would weep. She would stop eating. She's just not in a good spot. Now, verse 8, we see Elkanah, he tries his best to comfort her. And I love this. Hannah, why are you crying? Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And like, I wonder if after he said, am I not better to you than ten sons? If he was like, oh, wait, that, that was a mistake. Like, do you think, I'm guessing some of the women here go, no, that seems like a typical man response to that type of problem. And so he, he's not able to help. He's trying to help. But that doesn't take away Hannah's pain or her hurt. Now this happens year after year, but finally one year in pain and anguish, Hannah, she prays. She, she makes this vow to God. And so picking up in verse 11 of 1 Samuel chapter 1, it says, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. Now, sometimes people, when they're going through a difficult situation, um, when they want something and it just hasn't been coming, they'll, they'll make a promise to God. You get me through this. You give me this, God, I will, I'll go to church every Sunday. I will stop swearing. I will devote my life to you. But they, they get it, and then it's an empty promise. They have no intention 
of carrying it out. But what Hannah's doing here, she has every intent of doing it. But this is a big vow. Her vow means that if she has a child, if God grants her child, she is surrendering the privilege to raise that child in her home. The child will be totally devoted to God, which would mean that from a very young age, the child would live in the tabernacle at Shiloh, um, grow up to serve God under the supervision of the priest. And so this, this is a big, big promise to God. Now there's also another problem in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now Hannah's, Hannah's problem, we would say that's a personal problem. But we also find a corporate problem in 1 Samuel 1. Picking up in verse 12, it says, While Hannah continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Eli is it's kind of the, the head priest there at Shiloh. He's in charge. And Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. Now Eli, the priest, he makes this, this mistake. He thinks she's drunk. And, and some commentators actually kind of say the way Eli responds to her, it might seem that it's not all that uncommon for drunk people to kind of wander in to the, the tabernacle, into the sanctuary, because Eli doesn't seem overly phased by the fact that there's a, a drunk person there. He just kind of goes like, go home, go sober up, and then you can come back at that time. Now, the book of 1 Samuel, it opens at this really low point in Israel's history. It opens up at the end of the period of the judges, and that just was not a good time for Israel. About it, it, it judges, it, it describes it like this in Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. And so in Israel, it's this time of national chaos. There's, there's little unity amongst the 12 tribes of Israel. When, when we read Israel in these things, we think, oh, they're unified, they're, they're kingdom, they're all thinking and moving and acting as one. But in reality, it's, it's 12 different groups of people kind of spread out doing their own thing. And so there's always a problem in Israel. There's idol worship, there's invading armies, there's very little moral order in the land. Life is disposable, and it seems to be that whoever is the strongest gets to rule, gets to make the decisions. Now, every once in a while in the period of Judges, God would raise up a judge, a Gideon, a Samson, some of these people, and they would lead um, the people for a while and, and lead them back to God. But again, we, we often think they're leading the whole nation Usually it was just kind of a few tribes at a time, not a whole big thing. But when that judge would leave, Israel would kind of return back to chaos. And so there's, there's a lot of um, problems in Israel at this time. Now the religious leaders, even at this time, some of them are, are next to useless. They're more immoral than most. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 22 and 25, they introduce us to Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And listen to what um, Eli has to say to them. It says, Eli was very old. He heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they were sleeping with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He said to them, why are you doing these things? I have heard about your evil actions from all these people. No, my sons, the news I hear the Lord's people spreading is not good. If one person sins against another, God can intercede for him. But if a person sins against the Lord, 
who can intercede for him. But they would not listen to their father. Now, Hophni and Phinehas, what they're doing is there's, there's women who would serve at the tabernacle. They're sleeping with them. Um, they're also, when people would bring sacrifices to, to offer to God, they treat those sacrifices with huge disrespect. And Eli, he just kind of, he warns them. He gives them a verbal warning, like, ah, you probably shouldn't do this. I'm just going to give you a warning here. And they're kind of like, whatever, Dad, we're just going to keep doing it. And it's kind of amazing. Like, they don't get removed from their office. They're, they're, they're sleeping with people who serve there. They're treating God's sacrifices with contempt. And all they get is this verbal warning. But this raises the question, if the people who serve are able to get away with this, what is permitted for the rest of Israel? What can everyone else get away with? What sins are tolerated? What, what sins might even be celebrated? And so Israel's in this bad place. Like Hannah's not the only um, person with a problem here. All of Israel has a problem in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And so we're going to go back uh, to Hannah. And remember, we're picking up where, where Eli the priest has just accused her of being drunk. And so picking up in verse 15, it says, No, my Lord, Hannah replied, I'm a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. So Hannah, she goes into the tabernacle to pray, and we find out she's, she's so broken, she's so discouraged that, that she, she can't eat. She's, she's in such anguish when she's praying that the priest thinks she's drunk. She doesn't go in looking too good. But then a little bit later, she leaves and says she's encouraged, she's able to eat. So we go, what changed? What, what happened? And aside from a few words exchanged with Eli, the only thing that Hannah did while she was there was she prayed. She, she brought her problem and the pain to God. But we often kind of think of prayers like, ah, that's, that's not really going to accomplish much. But that, that made the difference there for Hannah. That, that is the pivotal moment. She brought her prayer to God, her problem to God, and that was her comfort. And notice in verse 15 and 16, she says, I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. And this isn't just like a, a, a one-up quick prayer. Like she's, she's pouring it out before God. Now, Psalm chapter 22 Verse 1, it's, it's familiar to most of us. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Um, and so the first half of Psalm chapter 22, it's this cry to help, a cry for help to God. Going, where, where are you, God, in all of this? Like, can't you see what I'm going through? But then in verse 22, there comes a turning point. The psalmist says, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. And, and there is the comfort that in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your problem, 
when it all seems like it's too much to bear. God is not actually hiding. God hears our cries. God hears and he sympathizes. And so in the midst of of Hannah's pain and loneliness, God granted her comfort in a supernatural way. Like we read in verse 18, she leaves that time of of prayer in peace, that she's able to eat, she's encouraged. Now, I, I, I need us to, to notice something here. Like we, we, I don't want us to go past this without seeing this, that Hannah's comfort, it came before she got an answer to her prayer. She, she, she hasn't received any answer to her prayer at all, but she still leaves comforted. And her circumstances have not changed. She's still childless, but she has peace. She has a peace that's going to allow her to carry on. Now, I don't know what problems, what pains, what worries, what anxieties you might be carrying. Um, you might be in a situation that's similar to Hannah's, where you want something that's good. You want something that's right, but you, you don't have it. You might have some sort of challenge or worry in regards to work or relationship, finances, health. Now, when I go through those things, like there's so many things can fall into that. You might be sitting there going, no, everything's actually pretty good. Everything's awesome. Like, I don't have any worries. I don't have any concerns. Um, everything is great. And, I mean, if that's where you are, that is good. Praise God for that. But as we, we talked about when we were starting off, no one's immune from problems or pain or challenges. Like, give it time, and those things will find you, I promise. Um, like, have you ever been having an awesome day? Like, things are going great. And you're going, nothing's going to ruin my day. And then the phone rings. Or you get a text message. Or an email comes in. And what was awesome quickly turns, and it's, it's a nightmare. It's not good. And y- your day is ruined. You are in the midst of it all of a sudden with a phone call or a text. And so, as I said before, no one is untouchable when it comes to pain and suffering. Problems, pain, suffering, it doesn't care if you're male or female, rich or old, old or, or uh, rich or poor. Now, I'm, I'm going to take a few days of vacation on, on Friday. Uh, Seth will get out of school, and we're going to go off and do something as a family for a bit just to kick off summer. And I've been looking forward to this so much, um, just kind of a break and getting away as a family. Now, if you're like me, when you think of vacation and you're longing for it, you're going, man, it's going to be awesome. We're going to sleep in. We're going to have late breakfasts. I'm going to read a, a good book. Like, I'm going to get through the whole thing. Um, we're, everything's going to go according to plan. We're all going to get along. We're not going to get tired of each other. And I'm going to come back fully charged. It's going to be awesome. And we have this idea, I'm going to come back from vacation. I'm going to be rested and then you remember, oh, wait, I've got kids. Uh, that's just not going to happen. And so you have to tell yourself, we're making memories. That's what we're doing. But we, we often have this idea. We look forward to things and we go, then, when I, when I get to this point, that's when things will be great. That's, that, that's when I'll be rested. That's when my problems will be over And in the same way, when we're in the midst of problems or pain or trouble, we often think, you know what, I will be comfortable when fill-in-the-blank happens. I'll be satisfied when fill-in-the-blank arrives. Uh, Once I get past fill-in-the-blank, everything will be good. 
But the reality is, you, you long for those things, and then you get to that place where you think, that's going to be my comfort, to find out it's not actually that comfortable. And what you hoped it would be isn't what it is. It, it fails to satisfy what we thought would solve our problem, take away the pain, doesn't. Maybe we turn to something to help numb the pain, drugs or alcohol. Maybe we try and um, distract ourselves from the problem by, by being busy, you know, extra hours at work or, or taking on just different things, just to kind of put that out of sight, out of mind. But those things don't, don't take care of it. It only makes things worse. And so we need something that is more than a moment. We need something more than a number. We need something more than a distraction. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And what I want us to notice there is that Paul says he comforts us in, in our affliction. Not after, not, not after it passes, not when we get past it, but in the midst of our affliction. And scripture is, is always going like, God is our rock, our refuge, our shield, our salvation, our ever-present help in the times of trouble. So comfort, it comes from knowing that God is with us, God is for us, no matter what comes next down the line, no matter how things turn out. And we need to understand that, that comfort, it's not found in the absence of problems or pain. Comfort is found in the presence of God. Comfort isn't found in the absence of your pain or your problem, it's found in God. And comfort is found in knowing God is for us. Now, We're not done with with Hannah and Israel yet. Picking up in verse 20, it says, After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. Down to verse 24, it says, When she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as a three-year-old bull, a half a bushel of flour, and a clay jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. Jumping to chapter 2, verse 18. Samuel served in the Lord's presence. This mere boy was dressed in the linen ephod. And then verse 26. And this is uh, comparing Samuel to Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons. It says, the boy Samuel grew in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Now, Samuel's birth, this is the answer to some of the problems that we find in 1 Samuel 1. Hannah, Hannah receives a child. Hannah is given a son. But Samuel is also God's answer for Israel's need of a prophet. A prophet who's going to guide um, Israel into the next phase of its history. And Samuel would, would be God's instrument for establishing the kings in Israel. First Saul and then David. And King David, he would, he would take those scattered tribes, those bro- broken tribes, and he would unite them. And under he and his son Solomon, Israel would quickly go from kind of being at the bottom to being at the top of all the nations in the region. And God had made a promise to David that one day, or one of his descendants, would always sit on his throne. And this was to solve a problem that was greater than barrenness 
or the problem of national chaos. This was to solve humanity's greatest problem, that we live in a world that is broken, it's messed up, it's not what it's supposed to be. And you know this based off when you are in the midst of problems, when you are in the midst of pain, you're going, this doesn't feel right. Something inside of me is longing for something different. And and C.S. Lewis would say, that's a hint that you were made for something else. And the reason we experience this is because of sin. And if you follow the line of David's descendants, you see that eventually Jesus is born. And Jesus is the great king who is fully God, fully man, who has suffered and crucified and was buried, but rose again, all to pay for the sins of his people and to give them freedom. We, we kind of started off in John chapter 16, verse 33, where Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so Jesus is promising that one day everything that has troubled you, everything that has brought you pain will be no more. Those things will be done away with when he returns that hope and promise that is given to every person who accepts him as Lord and Savior. And this is what we do. This is why we preach the gospel that is available to you today. That if you want to call Christ Lord and Savior, maybe you haven't done that, you can do it. You speak to me or to uh, Greg after the service or, or somebody else who you know is a Christian and just go, I, I, I want to do that. And you can do it. But throughout this series, we're going to see that Samuel was an important player in God's plan to make all of this happen. And when God is doing big things, we see that he loves to bless regular people in the process. Like God is is working to bring the Savior of the world into um, creation. And Samuel, he plays a role in that. Now God, he could have chose any family, any family at all, to raise Samuel up in. But he chose Hannah. He answered this woman's prayer. And his, his answer to her prayer doesn't just bless her. It doesn't just bless Israel. It blesses all of us today. God used her prayer in ways that was far larger than she could imagine. So when God is operating on the world stage, he, he doesn't forget everyday normal people. That in the midst of your problems, in the midst of your pain, God has not overlooked you. God sees. He hasn't forgotten. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. But God wants you to bring that to him. And you, you might be going like, my problem, it, it's big to me, but it's, it's not that big in the grand scheme of things. Surely God has, has bigger things on his plate. Like, you know, U.S. and Iran tensions. God's got to be spending a lot of time on that one. He doesn't have time for me. But First Samuel chapter 1 shows us that God is listening for us to cry out to him. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. And we go, like, God doesn't have time for me. But God's got all the time you need, literally, because God sits outside of time. And since God sits outside of time, God in his sovereign timing can look at things and go, I'm putting it together to work for what is best for those who love him. And so long before you face the problem, 
The problem that might come tomorrow, the problem that might come next week, next month, next year, 10 years down the road, long before you face that, God has a plan for how he's going to use it for good. He's at work in those details. So whose hands are better to place your pain, your problem, your worry in? Who is better equipped than God to give you comfort, to give you peace, to give you the right answer? But here's the thing. If you don't bring it to God, if you don't invite him to act, you're denying yourself one of the greatest sources of comfort that is available to you in the midst of it. Now, I, I know some of us are looking at this and going, Hannah got what she wanted. She, she got the child. And this text is not saying that if you, if you pray and ask nicely and you beg God, he's, he's going to give you what you want. I know of plenty of godly people who've cried out to God for something in prayer, like a child, and they haven't received it. God, in his divine providence, for some reason, he, he hasn't allowed it. And I know there's ache, I know there's anguish in those types of situations when our prayers seem to go unanswered. And, and please understand, this passage is not making light of those things. But what it's showing is that in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our problem, God is listening, he grants comfort, and we can trust him. And too many of us, here's the thing, you are carrying burdens that you were never intended to carry because God did not design you to carry those things. God is inviting you to bring them to him. And so as we kind of close this, we're going to do something a bit different. Uh, We don't often do this, but as I said, I, I don't know what challenges, what problems anxieties, worries you are facing, you are carrying. Um, But what we want to do is give you an opportunity to give it to God. Um, And you might go, this is is pointless. This is dumb. I'm not into that. I'm not going to, I don't think it works. But my question is, have you actually tried it? Have you brought it to God or have you said, no, I'm going to, I'm just going to struggle. I'm going to carry on. I'll do it myself. And comfort isn't found in the absence of problems. It's found in the presence of God. And so what I want to do for the next minute or so, we're going to just have a time of kind of silence. And between you and God, don't worry about what the people next to you, in front of you, behind you are doing. Between you and God, I just want you to ask him to be your source of comfort and strength in the midst of whatever you might be going through. Ask him help you trust his wisdom, his timing as he answers. And then after a couple minutes, I'll close us in prayer.